welcome to Wealth Science. I'm your host, Jesse Fuchsia, Army Ranger, real estate investor, and income enthusiast. On this show, we uncover the keys to attaining financial freedom. There are so many people listening right now who are stuck in that day-to-day, nine-to-five rat race. Luckily, it's only temporary. Each week, we bring on guests that help us discover the steps to build financial freedom, passive income, and generational wealth so we can live the life we were born to live. Money is freedom. Let's get to the show. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Wealth Science. I'm your host, Jesse Fuchsia, and today's guest is Eric Upchurch. Eric is an Army Special Operations veteran who grew up in central Iowa before attending college in California. Today, he serves as co-founder of Active Duty Passive Income and is a senior managing partner with ADPI Capital. Most recently, Eric's team has partnered on a nationwide, first-of-its-kind, 100% employee-owned mortgage branch, real estate brokerage, as well as as an insurance company, all with the goal of serving the ADPI community of military real estate investors. By the end of today, I think we'll have two things figured out. It's that night stalkers don't quit and death waits in the dark. Eric, welcome to Wealth Science, brother. Pumped to have you on. Thank you for having me. And you pretty much nailed it. Uh, The NSDQ, night stalkers don't quit attitude and mentality and mantra is uh, certainly what drives me and a big part of uh, my successes and why I'm driven to help others. Dude, that fires me up. And I, I can't wait to get your thoughts on not just like real estate, but mindset stuff behind yeah. you know what you've seen, not just in your investing career, but across your life of people who you know who are successful in difficult situations, people who aren't, stuff like that. But before yep. we kick it off, dude, I mean, however long you need to kind of fill the audience in on who you are and, and stuff like that, it's all you. Yeah. Um, I'll give a little bit more background than maybe um, some sometimes that I, I don't. Um, just for some context for your unique audience here. Um, so I, I grew up, I, I want to preface this all by just saying, um, being on podcasts and having success and it, it's really, I'm just a regular guy like everybody else. If you're listening to this and going, man, I'd love to get started and I'd love to do any of the stuff that Eric's done or Jesse's done, it, you can. I'm I'm living, walking, breathing proof that I'm not special. I mean, it, honestly, um, it just middle-class upbringing in, in central Iowa. My buddy and I uh, somehow graduated a semester early from high school. I mean, we were knuckleheads, so I have no idea how that happened. But we had an opportunity to move out to California, and we took it. So we left uh, in, the, in the middle of a blizzard in Iowa, took out to, off to California, and um, and and um, had no real aspirations to go to college. Um, I we wanted to go to culinary school, so we attended culinary school. Um, lived rent free for a friend of our and a, a family member of ours who just won the Pulitzer Prize. And our job was to feed her horses while she was out on book tour. And we were just these kids just chilling, no real direction. You know, how are we going to do this thing in California? Long story short. So I go, um, I, I was dating someone whose mother signed me up for college, uh, which is interesting, right? Didn't know you could really do that, but <clears throat> it was, that's how I remember it. She said, here's your application. It's partially filled out. You know, you're going to college now. So it was uh, junior college. Uh, a couple of years later, I graduated with just my associate's degree, transferred to UC Santa Barbara. The only way to get into UC Santa Barbara with a 3.4 is if you transfer. You've got to have a 4.2 and an acad- you know some kind of scholarship to get in uh, regularly. So um, anyway, graduated from Santa Barbara, 
at that point I was dating my, my now wife of uh, 16 years. And um, we, she was like, what do you want to do? Once again, I feel like a lost kid here. Like, Oh, someone's always like, what are you going to do with yourself? Um, So she said, you know, I could see you being in, in the military or some kind of service oriented thing. You know, you, you do like discipline and structure. And my dad was a cop. His twin brother was a cop. I have a, a uncle who's a Marine FBI and DEA, th- my three other uncles. So, I mean, I didn't really gravitate towards that, but I guess you could say it was in my blood. Um, just the service side. And then, so I went and talked to, I did a bunch of research cause I'm, I'm like, man, I'm a, I'm a college graduate, right? I can, I can figure this stuff out. So I went, did a ton of research on all the branches and I was like, well, I don't want to be in harm's way. Right. I, I don't want to go get killed. So I'm going to go and talk to the coast guard and see if I can just, <laughs> not that coast guard guys can't die in, you know, in service, but I'm just saying in my, this is how my mentality is of, yeah, a, yeah. of a, a non-service member so far. Coast Guard. Let me go. They're like, no, 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 dude. Sorry. I don't care if you have a degree. You're not going to be an officer in the Coast Guard. Cool. All right. Uh, they're like, go to the go to the Navy. Navy's like, no, dude, we're not, we're not taking anybody right now. Air Force. And this is 2004. Uh, Air Force, like, no, dude, we're blue to green right now. We're taking Air Force guys and transferring them to the Army. The war's going on, all this stuff. And I was like, I'm not even interested in the Marine Corps. No offense, uh, Marines, but I've got an uncle in the Marines and he's like, eh, you know. So there was the Army. And I know they had a ton of jobs and I was like, okay, well, I need to get educated and figure out what job is best for me. Um, I knew I could get a high grad bonus if I chose to be enlisted instead of an officer. Um, So I got a $6,000 bonus, which is nothing in retrospect, but to me, it was like all the money in the world. Um, I started off as an E4, which is the fourth enlisted rank um, for those of you who are non-military. So I skipped over all the private ranks and... um, and got to, and what I realized in doing that, because I chose to be enlisted, number one, it paid off all of my college debt. So like 50 something thousand dollars from the UC system paid off. Second of all, which I wouldn't have gotten had I chosen to be an officer. Second of all, uh, I got to influence more people. I felt like as a 24 year old guy, I can go in there and talk to some of these 18 year old knuckleheads and maybe influence them to make right decisions and, and just give them some of my insight and, and into what I've learned so far in life. Um, so then that's kind of, and this kind of dovetails into now what we're doing with ADPI and just in my life, I guess. But looking back, that was the first time in my life that I looked back and went, and I, I said to myself, I've always been an influencer of people. And, and I don't mean like social media influencer type of thing. I mean, I always, it, it, since I was 12 years old working in the cornfields in Iowa, I always strive to be a team leader. And I was always, a, you know, when I was a dishwasher, I was like, I want to be a manager. I want to be the next, the next level so I can teach people how to do this. So I didn't choose a lot of my personality. It chose me. And at 24 years old, I started kind of the beginnings of recognizing what I'm best suited for. So in the military, got in to special operations, had no idea what special operations was. The only reason I ended up in 160th was because I was trying to make it to my wedding on time and I didn't want to, so I couldn't screw anything up. I couldn't miss a test. I couldn't miss a PT test, a written test for whatever. I couldn't piss off the wrong drill, drill sergeant. And so I was the top of my class because I had to really make it to that, you know, in six months, I had to make it to my wedding. I made it to my wedding within, with three days to spare, um, graduated. And I, and I, several weeks before that I had gotten orders to special operations, spent my whole career in, in special operations. And, um, that's kind of where my first 
real inadvertent real estate deal happened as well uh, while I was serving. So that's a little bit of background, probably more than I should have shared, but I wanted to give some context there. Dude, that's awesome. And, and I'm curious. I mean, I'm a big wrestling fan, dude. And, and maybe this is like out of context a little bit, but growing up in middle Iowa and stuff like yeah. that, like some of the greatest American wrestlers all, all time hail from the state of Iowa. And you've already hit on it a little bit, you know, working in the cornfields and stuff like that, like that early, like, I don't know. I don't I don't know if I call it that mental toughness mentality or what, I mean, where was that born? Was that born? Would you say in kind of those early jobs in Iowa or, or what are your thoughts? I would say Midwestern kids that you're just, you grew up that way. Like we, we didn't have a lot of money. So it was like, you want those, those in, in 1989, you know, when Air Jordans came out, you want those shoes, you're going to mow lawns for it or figure out a way you want a moped. You know, we all had mopeds on my buddies and I, you, you got to earn that money. We don't, mom and dad don't have the money for that. That's extra. So go, go figure it out. You know, you want a Nintendo, go earn it. And so everyone just, you know, you're either walking beans and spraying, spraying weeds and bean and, and bean fields, or you're detasseling corn or both. And that's how you make, you know, nine bucks an hour as a 12 year old, which is back then was huge money. <laughs> you know, it's, it's the worst work in the world. It's, it's grueling. Yeah. And, um, but I think it's, it, I fell into it because I knew that if I wanted things, I had to work for it. And I knew that opportunity did in fact, look a lot like hard work. And, and so I didn't think I was, I mean, definitely I wasn't special or unique in, in the Midwest. I think that's just kind of, uh, you know, in general, the middle-class Midwest, that's how we think. So that's sick. Yeah. I, I love that. I think that's awesome. Like, obviously like when you're expanding into your special operations and career, where was like that initial segment of like financial freedom? Or I'm, I'm curious, where was like that first maybe aha or vision moment where you're like, maybe I want to like, I don't know, progress or build something else besides just this military thing. I'm curious. Yeah. It's interesting because I didn't even have that, that moment until after I ETS until I got out of the military. Um, I like most military members, I became an accidental landlord. And um, so I bought a house in 2006. I was actually in Iraq. My wife signed on the loan. Um, and it was new construction in 2006, fully leveraged. That's a great combination, right? Like right before the, the industry, the whole real estate industry crashes, I'm fully leveraged with a VA loan, 100% loan to value, came out of pocket, nothing, builder paid closing costs. I mean, literally it was awesome. But so we lived in that house for four years. And uh, when we when I ETS, when I got out and I was moving back to the San Francisco Bay Area, um, we realized it was not going to be advantageous advantageous for us to sell the house. So we were like, oh, let's rent it, see if we can make some money. It did cash flow, barely 80 bucks a month. Um, we rented that house out for like six or seven years before I sold it. At that, it was a couple of years after I was out of the military, and I started like I ran across Rich Dad Poor Dad and read that, and went to a boot camp that I paid a, an insane amount of money to go to. Really, and I know I brushed over that, so we can talk about that in a minute. But no, that's it's kind of when I it's kind of when I realized like, wait a minute, the, the Rich Dad Poor Dad just makes sense to me. And like I own a property, it's just not cash flowing well. So is there a way to make this happen more and make more money? You know, and can I? can I make a profit each year off of one? And then how can you scale it? And so I kind of really just started picking and reading like Millionaire Mind and like all of these, like just one book really. And you know, your listeners probably know this, but one book leads to the next. And you yeah. tell somebody you're reading this book and they're going to say, oh, next you need to read this book, you know? So whether it's cash flow Quadrant or Money Master the Game or whatever it is, you always get led to the next thing. And then, you're, then your mind just explodes with more information and more opportunity and more thinking and you know, then honestly, and that kind of dovetail in this, this special operations thing, 
situational awareness. If you are aware of your surroundings and what your capabilities are and what your opportunities nearby are, you can really pivot and make things happen. And, and that's kind of you know the way I started talking to my wife and the decisions we started making um, in the San Francisco Bay Area at that point. Yeah, I feel like this story, it's it, it's the story of so many military members out there, that accidental landlord of like using the VA loan. Ironic, it happened right before the crash, but it's like, hey, obviously we can't sell this to get the same value. Let's just rent it out. And even if you're just breaking even every month, I mean, you're still putting equity into that house. Uh, I'm curious, and I mean, you, you glossed over it a little bit, but I just want to go back and hit it. And, and you're a high-performance coach yourself. Like, What do you think are kind of the keys to investing in yourself? You talked about you paid a ton of money to go to this conference. So I'm sure you made incredible connections at it, reading books and stuff like that. But you know, for the listeners who are looking to invest in themselves, I mean, what are your thoughts and what are some things they can do? Yeah, it's two words, commitment and coachability. And I don't have that memorized. It just came to the top of my head, commitment and coachability. So um, I did say, you know, I paid $30,000, got upsold all the way through to this, this single family fix and flip boot camp in the San Francisco Bay Area. It was the free 90, 90 minute session that upsells you to the weekend boot camp for $1,000, but then you get this tax lien seminar also, and you get to do all this other stuff. And then hook, line, and sinker, I'm going to the next, they go to the boot camp and they're like, hey, we're for 25 grand more, we're going to upsell you, you're going to get the advanced training and all that stuff. Okay, so at that point, I'm like, am I coachable? Am I, am I committed? In retrospect, I'm thinking that. During the time, I'm like, what am I doing? How am I going to get the best out of this? This is like all the money I had, you know, not all of it, but a lot. I mean, at that point we were just saving and in the Bay area trying to afford a, a you know, our first, uh, first house. So, um, in that scenario, it was really just, um, and I'll, I want to paint a picture a little bit, uh, before I get into uh, commitment and, and coachability, because if you're going to a seminar or a boot camp, and those are huge right now. They've been huge for the last ten years, and they'll be huge forever. Education is is big, uh, big dollars, and and makes people do things right, get up off their butt. But if you're not aware of who's in the room, not what's going on in the room, but who's in the room, that's what made the difference for me. That was the situational awareness part. Okay, now. Am I coachable? Am I committed? Now, whenever someone asks me that question, if they want to be coached or if they want to know how I got to a certain point with investing, if you're not coachable, meaning if you're going to be a, a pain in the ass and say, I'm right, I can research it on my own, I can do this, that's not being coachable. Listening, you've got two ears and one mouth, right? Listen first take it in, try it, give feedback, reorganize yourself and go at it again. You got to be coachable. Someone who is taking you on as a mentor, uh, mentee or, or a coaching student, they want to know that you're going to go apply what they've already done. They've already shown that there's progress and there's, that it's a successful thing to do. So go do that. And then commitment, you've got to just say, okay, just like me in, when I was in basic training and AIT, I knew I had to make it to my wedding. I was committed to being top of my class. I had to be, there was no alternative. It was the only outcome. It was what I was visualizing was going to happen because I'm going to be standing on the altar back in Santa Barbara with my wife uh, to marry her. So uh, commitment, you have to make that decision every single day Today I'm going to underwrite. Today I'm going to do, I'm going to call brokers. Today I'm going to, and I, I say this all the time with my success formula, you've got to be 1% better every day. And, and there's more to that success formula, but 
You've got to put in 1%. I tell my kids this, my two little boys, if you're 1% better every day, guess how many percentage points you are over the previous year by the end of this year. That's huge. You made a huge impact on your life. So um, yeah, you got to be committed. There is no alternative and you've got to be coachable. You've got two ears, one mouth. Dude, I, I love that. I, I, I almost bring the, uh, the coachable part back to all, just being humble. It's being humble. You don't yeah. know everything. You will never know everything. Yeah. Um, it, it's so powerful, just that humble aspect. And then that it's almost like that. I'm going to make it or I'm going to die. There is no in between. Yeah. Like it's, 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 you're going to make it or you're going to die. And that huge why, like I'm picturing you at boot camp, dude. That's a, that's a strong why. Like getting to the altar to get married to your wife, dude. That was like, I got to do it. <laughs> there is yeah. no other option. There's no plan B. So, and I remember sitting there and at this point, you know, in basic training, I got five minutes every Sunday to talk to my wife and she's like, there's no, all we talked about was like, are you going to make the wedding? I just, you had a couple minutes to talk, you know, how's it going? Okay, cool. You know, did you order flowers? I mean, whatever it was real quick, but are you going to make it? She's just, there's no plan B. Eric, your mom says you should have a plan B. I, I am owned by the government. There is no plan B. My, my plan A is going to happen. So you know, you take that into to training also, and I'm glad I ended up in the unit I did because in that situation, there is, I mean, there's there are backup plans, but you don't rely on that. I am never going to quit until I succeed. I'm never going to leave my fallen brothers. I'm never going to, you know, I, the my only option is to complete this mission successfully. So that's really really good to take to take away, and now I can apply that to almost anything in life, and uh, you know, make it happen, visualize it. That's incredible. I mean, I, yeah, it, it's amazing. And I'm just picturing like 2004, like obviously the war that the G1 at this time is, is yeah. you know, coming off the hook. And meanwhile, your wife's probably planning this entire wedding while you're talking to her for five minutes a week. I mean, it's it's an insane time. I, I'm, I'm curious, like going back to your real estate career, like what was that mindset shift like? You know, obviously you've got a couple of residential properties and now you have over, you know, you're a GP on over a thousand units and LP on another 500 units. What was that mindset shift going from small to big? I'm curious. Yeah. So I, I was, uh, you know, bigger pockets had a big impact on, on my learning curve as well. And, um, I found that and I was kind of like, okay, well I can take this model. I had it. I looked over here a second ago. Cause I, I used to have it on my bulletin board, um, that it, it was just, okay, buy two, two deals. And then next year, I need to buy four deals. And the two deals that I bought when I started this process was um, two turnkey deals. And so I had saved up enough money to actually, I had been living flipping, which is how I got my capital. I had n no money coming out of the military as a staff sergeant, as an E6, you know, I was, um, and coming back to the San Francisco Bay Area. So no money. I made my money from live-in flipping and moving my family around the Bay Area, buying and selling houses. Then I bought two turnkey properties in Kansas City. Those properties are what kind of made me think, okay, now what do I need to do? So the bigger pockets thing was like, I heard them say, well, if you can buy two properties this year, next year buy four, you can figure it out. You have a whole year to figure out how to buy four. And if you bought four this year, certainly the following year, you can figure out how to buy eight because you bought four. It's just, it's just twice as many. And it's probably like, maybe it's one deal. Can you do one eight unit deal or two, four unit deals? Like, sure you can. So then it was then the following year, 16, then 32, then 64. And really, I mean, it, I think it only went up to 32 anyway. And I was like, well, by that point, that's like five years and I'm financially free. So like, that's totally achievable. That So after year two, what happened was I was like, okay, well, I bought two. And then, so I, I'm preparing myself at this point for like the following year, I was in the process of buying four. 
and I was like preparing myself for that eight. And I go, well, what happens if I set this to 800? And I think I just read the 10X rule also. And so my, my you know, maybe it was a, a harebrained idea, but I was like, well, what happens if I say I'm going to buy 800 units this year? And because I did that, I ended up going to a multifamily uh, uh, training event, a conference. I ended up, I was an investor as a limited partner, took some of my capital, reached out to a buddy who I knew was syndicating apartments, learned some of that from him, invested in one of his deals as a limited partner. And because I set a goal instead of eight at 800, we ended up closing 571 units that year. And this was 2019. So had I kept my my mindset on eight, I would end up with six, you know? And uh, so it, to me, it just meant the numbers are bigger. The process is a, a little bit more complex. You might need more partners, but I love talking to people. I love helping people figure out, you know, solutions to problems. So why not me? And then I'm going to a conference and I'm seeing guys like in board shorts and hoodies on stage. I'm like, these guys own 2000 units. Why can't I? This is doesn't seem like rocket science. You were hiring external teams to manage the thing anyway. Why can't I do this? Uh, wait, I don't have to have a license to buy these things. Oh my gosh, this is amazing. So that was the mindset shift. Just thinking of, of, in a bigger way kind of led my mind to figuring out how to buy in a bigger way. Yeah, I mean, I, I yeah, I agree completely. And I would say like just success compounds on itself, like whether it's two to four to eight to eight hundred or whatever it is, it, you know. And I'm curious what you think on this too. Like even looking back on your first commercial property or whatever, just in my opinion, like the hardest part of my journey has been zero to one. And then one to like, I, like I'm fired up for one to 10,000 because it's going to yeah. be a lot of fun. Like what, what are your thoughts on that? I mean, again, kickstarting and getting that ball with that inertia going, I uh, mean, zero to one versus one to a thousand. I, I was glad you were going to say that you, you said that because I was going to say the same thing, zero to one. And, and anyone who's, who's gotten to their first deal and completed their first deal will tell you the same thing. If you're listening to this and you're at zero and you're looking for that first deal, just wait a couple of years to when you, or a year or however long it takes you until you get your first deal. You're going to be telling people the same thing. Zero to ones, zero to one is the only hard one. And, and then the rest of them is like, okay, then, then all of a sudden you've got lenders who trust you. You've got investors who trust you. You've got the external and internal team, you know, who are, who know what your capabilities are. So deals start coming your way. You, you've, you've finessed the process of finding, of sourcing deals. And so, so really zero to one is the hardest one. And then from there, it's like, okay, well, I already know people who find deals. I already know people who can raise capital. I already know people who can help me with investor relations and all the other little uh, pieces of the deal. So yeah, I mean, from there, you can scale up to infinity. It just, you just have to, again, be committed to the process and get through that roll in the rock uphill, which is, you know, that first deal. Yeah, absolutely agree. Just getting the inertia, getting the ball rolling. Is, so is- many people quit at the halfway mark. And that's, yeah. and that's, I mean, I, I hate to be cliche, but you know, the night stalkers don't quit. That's the, that's the mentality. You do not quit. You won't fail if you don't stop. So just keep going. There's nothing, there's nothing scarier than what I've already been through. And, and for a lot of people, I mean, not just me, not just military guys and gals, it's, there's nothing scary. There's nothing hard about buying an apartment complex. It you're not, no one's dying, you know? And, and so I, maybe that's a kind of a unique perspective, but uh, you know, you take that component out of it and like, yeah, there are unknowns, 
but go figure it out. Go build a team, you know, go. This is a well-traveled path that many, many, many people have have followed before you, but many more quit at the halfway mark or at the 99% mark out of fear, out of unknown, out of the unknown. And so if you just persist until it happens, I mean, you'll be successful. And that's really the differentiator is just people who never give up are the ones who we see um, taking down more deals. The ones who quit are the ones who complain that the coaching didn't work or, you know, whatever the thing might be, right? Yeah. I mean, I think I agree with you. I think people quit out at that, you know, you've got whatever 10 meters left. And it's like yeah. we've put in all this work and like they look back on the last 90 meters and they're like, but Jesse, I really haven't. Like, look at the last 90 meters. And it's like, dude, it's just a part of the process. Yeah. It, it's so crucial just, just not quitting. If you are just persistent, you will find success. Um, you've hit on it a little bit today, but I'm, I'm just curious, like on the teams that you've worked on with your real estate career, I mean, do you have anything that you look for? I mean, how do good teams, I guess, complement other good teams or how do good team members work together when you're looking at building that team to really help you scale? I'm curious. I've, I've had good teams and, and I've had bad teams and in the bad teams, thankfully, I, I know um, that were, there were still good deals and they were still okay and the relationships are intact, but I'll just say the bad teams... Um, what you need to look, I'll just put it this to you this way. Um, I, I started investing, you know, when I was doing that, that year where I needed four deals, I started single family fix and flips, uh, with a buddy who I've known for 30 years and, um, we're great friends and we grew up together. And, um, and what we realized though, we, we dissolved that partnership after I think 10, 10, um, flips or burrs that we did. We dissolved that partnership because we realized that we're too similar. We both like the same things and we both dislike the same things. So we're great friends, but uh, which is still true. Um, but we just realized like, okay, well, we're, it's not going to mesh. You've got to find a, a partnership that has, if it's a two people, a complementary skill sets, you have to, and then anything else, you've got to fill the gaps. If it's five people on a general partnership for a syndication for a multifamily, for a joint venture or whatever it is, you've got to find people on the team that are going to fit all the roles, fill all those roles. You don't want a lot of overlap. If you've got five people and, and everyone is doing the same thing, you're not going to get the deal done. So um, you've got to find that complementary skill set um, on, on your team. That's going to be the biggest uh, biggest takeaway. Yeah. I mean, it, I, I feel like it's just finding the right piece of the puzzle. And it's like, hey, what do I suck at? Okay. I suck at whatever, you know, asset management. I don't know anything about it. I've never gotten my hands dirty. It's like, let me go out and find a network with a dude and bring that guy on the team. It's yeah, like and, being honest and finding what you suck at. Yep. And, and the other thing is um, I've got to, I'm an over communicator for someone to work on my team. I, I don't want to pull information. My team has to push information and me included. Hey, I just completed this task instead of, Hey Eric, did you complete that task? That's a big difference. If everyone on the team is operating the correct way, you, you you know what everyone's supposed to do and that they're going to tell you when it's complete. If if you find yourself in a team on a team where no one's communicating and so so I require everyone I work with to have a Telegram channel so we can communicate on a regular basis. Sometimes you still have to pull information when you need it to complete your task, but the teams that I like to work with and continue and choose continually choose to work with on future deals are the ones who are communicating effectively. It's it's the that's a huge thing because you've got you've got you've got to be talking to lenders all the way up until closing day. You've got to, I mean, you know how how fast it is the, the lawyers you have to talk, transactional and SEC attorneys, everyone's got to be on the same page. And if the team can't be on the same page, your external team 
like lawyers and 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 all everyone else aren't going to be on the same page either. So communication is a massive part of uh, a successful team. Yeah, I completely agree. And even in the elite organizations that I've worked in, it's like how you know keeping comms flat from from the highest echelon to the lowest echelon or whatever we're doing. It is so crucial that everyone understands the plan and, and is keyed in on all the the KPIs and what's going on. It's it's so crucial. On the on the kind of a follow up to the communication piece. And I, I know like you've been super successful also like in your real estate career at raising capital and stuff like that. I'm I'm curious, like when it comes to, you know, speaking with private investors and, and raising capital for deals, I mean, what do you think are kind of the key components to connecting with investors and, and what's kind of been successful for you? I'm curious. Yeah, I mean, I think uh well, one reason we're selling deals right now is that full cycle full cycle piece. So some of it is credibility and um, whether that's going full cycle, you know, for those of your listeners who don't know, it's buying an asset, executing the business plan successfully, um, doing for your investors, what you said you would do, and then closing, selling the deal. Um, That lends credibility, but there are a lot of things that do also. Social media can lend credibility. You being present and, you know, outwardly you know, like going to a property, obviously you wouldn't want to do like a lot of people do Facebook lives at the property. They're doing due diligence on stuff. You have to be careful with that with the SEC so that you're not seasoning investors. If you have a um, a 506B um, for non-accredited investors, um, but but certainly on a 506C, you could do that. So outward, outwardly talking about what you do, that could just be emails. Like you could give a market update to your investors, even if they've never invested with you, to your friends and family, people who just you have their email addresses. This is just a way to start, you know, and um, and just talking to people about the market you want to invest in and giving them quick snapshots of the property that you would like, the type of property you would like to invest in, so that they're un- they understand when you have a deal, they're going to invest with you. It's not going to be a shock like what I didn't even know you invested in multifamily. How did that happen? So um, so kind of preparing them for that. Um, but yeah, I think just getting investors uh, invested in you is an important thing, not just invested in your deals, but they need to know that you're somebody who is respected in the industry, that you've created a thing. I mean, build a website. It's really easy on Wix. You know, if I can do it, anybody can do it. Um, so yeah, I mean, just just consistency and, and pushing information out to people is important. Yeah. I mean, even... I had never gone live on social media till this past August when I when I did it for 30 days straight. Yeah. And there were dudes coming out of the woodwork like Jesse, I didn't even know you were in real estate. Yeah. It's like crazy. And now it's like, it's not, oh, Jesse's in real estate. It's oh, Jesse's got another deal. Like, let me look at it and stuff like that. It's like breaking out of that secret identity, dude. It's like if people don't know you're in the space, they, they can't invest in you and they're not gonna be able to invest in the deal. And people who have the right uh, energy from you are excited that you are doing this because. It, you know, you and I are in this world where we think everyone's doing it because we're just around it and we're consumed by by real estate investing. But that's not ninety five percent of the United States. So you know, you've got to talk like I talked to my uncle. I didn't know if he wanted to invest in real estate, but he saw that I was posting about it, and he's an investor now. You know, my mother and and all these people like all that you never know. And a good way to start is on your phone. Just go through your phone and start contacting people and telling them like, hey, uh, you know, I'm a real estate investor. I'd like to talk to you about it. And I know you didn't know this about me, but here, here's here's who I am. I'll put you on my email list if you're interested. I mean, that's a simple, simple thing you can do. But yeah, I mean, just break it out. And, and I love that idea. <laughs> just texting people, hey, I'm in this space now. Like I have these incredible opportunities that might 
that might interest you. But yeah, just breaking out of that shell. Um, I've got a couple more things I just want to hit you with before we uh, before we wrap up. And I'm a huge fan of the ADPI podcast. I think you guys crush it. And just for all the listeners, I highly recommend you guys go over there and listen to some that. And you guys have you guys have interviewed and you personally have interviewed some incredible stars. I mean, I've got a couple written down. Grant, Jocko, Ryan Serhan, Robert Kiyosaki. I mean, literally stars of the industry. I'm curious, uh, Eric, as you're interviewing these, you know, Titans, like, is there connections that you can draw between those three, four, five top people that you've interviewed? Is there something in your opinion that they've all got or they all have in common? You know, people who have attained and achieved that level that you've interviewed. Yeah, I'd say one thing is that they chose the path less traveled. Um, everybody that we've interviewed, um, it, you know, kind of at that level, um, number one, they're approachable if you do it the right way, which I, I thought was very interesting. Um, you can track them down and you can get them to come on your show, you know. The second thing is um, they all seem to uh, follow the beat of their own drum. Uh, in in one way or another, they've they've found their own way through whatever it is, and and whether you know, I mean, Jocko's not a not a known real estate investor, but he invests in real estate, so so you can you can find some like business sense in somebody that is relatable to the masses, but with their own spin, and and that's kind of what we discovered that everyone has their own their own purpose behind why people know their name, you know. Um, learned a lot about, about Grant Cardone and, and why he is so, um, you know, flashy, you know, he, he, he really feels that he has a, um, a need to influence people in a certain way because of his upbringing and the way his mother was treated. And so, but most people don't see that and you wouldn't know that unless you pull it out of them, you know? Um, so yeah, everyone kind of in the, in that kind of category, everyone is interesting and funny in their own way, uh, because they all, they all do things the way they want to do. And most of them are unique. Yeah, that's, that's super cool. And, and again, I highly recommend like anybody go check out these episodes. They're incredible, but I love, I know, I know you guys interviewed Ryan Serhan. I love that episode you guys did with him that how just like down to earth he is and like yeah. grew up as an actor and like failed terribly at acting and now does like a billion dollars a year in New York city. It's, billion dollars it's so a cool. Year. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. yeah. Go check out that episode. It's, it's sick. Um, the last thing I wanted to hit on and I I'm super inspired by just the job that you do and giving back and what you guys have done in your community and stuff like that. And just with the, uh, to end veteran homelessness and the tiny homes you guys are doing, I know you guys have been sponsored on, you know, CNN, NBC and stuff like that. Tim Kelly came on this show too. And we talked about the power of giving before you receive, like going into a, a situation and seeing like how much you can give before, you know, receiving and how powerful that is. I'm curious in your own life and with all the work that you guys do, like what does giving, I guess, mean to you and how powerful do you think that has been in your journey? Yeah. So, um, with ADPI, you know, we, we give back to, I mean, as of recording this, our, our community is about 40,000, um, military members and, um, and growing quickly and, and we're giving, our intention is to break barriers, break down barriers for military members. And we're an education company. So breaking that educational barrier, breaking the financial barriers, breaking, it's mostly education. You can figure anything out if, if somebody breaks it down for you the right way, right? So our philanthropic effort primarily with ADPI is just giving back to the, man, I wish I knew that crowd. You know, like if I was an E5, Dang, or you know, we had a, a call with a guy who was 19 years old and thinking about going into the military. Like, 
imagine the impact on that kid if he goes in and, and then starts, you know, getting some education through our group and on and, and resources. So that's an impact that we, that we love. And, and, but above and beyond that, we find, we feel like we have a duty, a responsibility to do, um, to do more. And so because we're in the real estate space and the veteran space and military space, we think that, um, you know, having a mission of, of helping veterans community project and others, um, and veteran homelessness is a perfect fit. In fact, we just revised our, um, number one bestselling book, military house hacking, it's free on our website, but it's also, uh, we're launching it again on November 11th for the second edition. The second edition is now going to have all the 2020 updates, 2020 VA loan updates, as well as, and this is intentional, uh, how to build, maintain, and repair credit, as well as how to establish a, a solid financial foundation before you start investing. And so now what we do and we have been doing is donating that book to every single veteran that comes into a tiny home for, through Veterans Community Project so they can read our book for free and go from homelessness to home ownership. Only 13% of veterans who are eligible for the VA loan are using it. And as long as a homeless uh, veteran has, has decent credit and a job and they can qualify for that loan, they can buy a home with the VA loan, zero down. And, and that's going to have a huge impact on the veteran homelessness um, issue. Dude, this is incredible. I mean, just literally solving a, a national problem, uh, one tiny home at a time. And I think that like, that's what it all just comes back to about whatever that journey is. It's like, what's the bigger why? Like, yeah, like, you know, attaining financial freedom is incredible. Like it's the goal, but it's like, what can we do by attaining that? what is the bigger why behind it? And you guys have absolutely crushed that. So I, I, I get super pumped when I hear guys doing that. And I just wanted to bring that up here at the end. It's super inspiring what you guys do. Um, I, I just have two last questions for you, dude. Neither of them are real estate related, um, but uh, whatever. We end, the, we end the show here on it. If, if you could solve any problem in the world, Eric, and maybe this is a dumb question because you guys are solving it right now, but you know, if you could solve any problem, what would it be? Yeah. Other than the veteran homelessness problem, uh, which is completely solvable, it's just a money thing. Um, I would say financial literacy. I mean, our educational system is completely antiquated. It, it is Our education system was built as an industrial revolution way to pump out good employees, W-2 employees. We do not any longer need that. Um, yes, we still need good workers, of course, but um, I'm breaking the mold with my children on what the expectations are for them to grow as adults that, that education is can be found everywhere and abundantly, that they should understand some things, some some core things that adults need to know, like finances, you know, um, and and how to, you know, I mean, they're they're investing. They're nine and twelve and they're investing. And it's small investments, but they get really excited if they make two hundred dollars. And and the concept that money makes more money if you put it to work. Like that's a that makes them laugh because they think, well, money can't work. You know, but you teach them the money can work, and so I wish that you know I would I would solve that in high school, middle school, and maybe even earlier than that. Start teaching kids that what what a financial foundation should look like, and that credit cards can be a good thing, and you need credit, and how to manage it, and and how to start investing smartly, and how to analyze deals, and what's good and what's bad, and you know some of the concepts we talk about in the book. But I wish more people in the US, um, you know, weren't stuck in the rat race and had a spark, just that that moment to think, 
there's something else outside of what I know. Yeah. I mean, I, I love that. And I think it's so incredible. And even like when I look at where, where I grew up and what like my thought process was like, it was, it was nothing against it, but like, we never talked about money or, or anything like that. And it's like, why? Like, it shouldn't be something that's stigmatized. I want to like have open conversations with my kids. Like when I'm a father about money and like how powerful it is and how there is something else out there and how just what you're doing, you can make money work with you. But I want to be that change too, that incorporates exactly what you're doing. So I think that's awesome. I've got my kids typing out affirmations and they Sick. have affir- affirmations, you know, like I am uh, an illustrator. I am a, a, a brave kid. I am whatever it's, I am. And then 15 things that they want to be, but they're saying I am. So when they brush their teeth, it's pasted to the to the mirror in front of their their sinks. So they brush their teeth in the morning. They have to read their affirmations. Dude, that's sick. I love that. Dude, law of attraction, mindset, thoughts become things. I mean, from the youngest age, instilling that is going to have boundless and endless results. That's so cool. Um, Very last thing I want to hit you with, dude, last question. Like we we hit everybody with this and you very well might be living it right now. Like Eric Upchurch is living the perfect life, bro. What does that look like? I think the perfect life, I mean, I've got a vision board with my, my ideal day and I have it in my, um, in my phone also, but, um, exercise and health are, are number one critical. So I would spend at least two hours a day, um, in the gym and just working on, on health things. Um, and I would have uh, mental acuity cause I'm well hydrated of course as well. Um, but being able to, um, limit my interaction on devices. Um, right now we all need them for business, for podcasts, for, you know, answering emails, but you know, I've seen like Jesse Itzler and some other people who are like, yeah, I only check emails on Thursdays from 12 to one. Oh, that's amazing. You know, my, my, my mother just retired last year and she's like, it's, it's weird that I don't ever have to check my email. Like, you know, if somebody needs me, they'll text me. <laughs> and so it's, it's the little things like that. I understand. I mean, for everybody, we got to build to that point. And um, when you're building a business, certainly that's not not much of an option unless you make it, um, you know, something. But uh, just spending time with my family and um, and traveling. And uh, I know that sounds kind of cliche, but uh, you know, I I would like to just turn everything else off, the things that don't matter, social media, um, all that stuff, and uh, and go make an impact. And if you can't make a global impact, try to make a a national impact. If you can't make a national impact, try to make an impact in your community. I, I feel like a lot of people reach out and try to do something that's so massive with with impact, um, you know, solving a world problem or getting into an organization that's trying to do that or something. But you, if it's not in your, it's not in your passion or if it's not in your wheelhouse in some way, shape, or form, try to impact your neighbor's life, and then try to impact your your neighborhood's life, and then try to impact your town. And that type of thing can be so fulfilling. And, you know, there are people who say on their deathbed that, that those relationships they've created locally are what kept them alive so long, you know? So that's what I'd like to do. Just, yeah. just live, live a life where I can, I can look back and go, no regrets. <laughs> Dude, this was awesome. I appreciate everything. And just to go back to like our first like sentence of this whole conversation, I was like, dude, anyone can go out and start right now changing their lives, putting it on the path to whatever it is. If it is financial freedom, if it's a different relationship or whatever it is, dude. So I just love that mentality about you. And I appreciate you taking the time to come on the show today. And it really means a lot, dude. People who want to hear more about you, Eric, 
more about the ADPI community? I mean, what platforms are you on? Where can people reach you at? Yeah, you can find me. Um, I'm certainly in the group, activedutypassiveincome.com, militaryrealestateinvesting.com, um, personally at Eric Upchurch, at Real Eric Upchurch on Instagram. Um, and I'm on Facebook too. And, and send, shoot me a message if you have a question. I'm, I'm always uh, good to respond. So, Dude, pre- appreciate you taking the time. I said it at the beginning, night stalkers don't quit. Death waits in the dark. Two things we know for sure. I appreciate you, dude. Again, all the knowledge, the content today was awesome. Just fun to have you know, a 45-minute conversation with you, dude. I can't thank you enough for coming on. Looking forward to the next one, buddy. Hey, thanks again for listening to the Wealth Science Podcast. Take some time to subscribe and leave us a review. It really is the basis that helps us continue to bring on amazing guests each week. We have another incredible story to share next week, and I'm certain it's going to add value to this community. Please do not hesitate to reach out if there's anything I can do to help you in your journey of attaining financial freedom. Thank you again for listening, and we will see you next week.